Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be able to share with you this morning. Well, Pastor Daniel and Sarah are out of town ministering abroad. It's always a privilege to share both here with those of you here and all of you watching and viewing online. It's always such a joy to be able to study and get an extra excuse to study. Not that you don't study all the time, but it's always a nice joy to be able to focus in on something specific for, for God's people. And I really enjoy that, and so I'm very thankful for that opportunity. <clears throat> and I'm going to start by asking a question that's appropriate for this time of year is, what do you want for Christmas? I was asking my wife this. We always ask each other, what do you want for Christmas? It's so much easier just to ask and then just get them whatever they want, right? Um, <clears throat> and we don't have we don't have any children, but I have nieces and nephews. And whenever you ask, perhaps a little boy, "What do you want for Christmas, little Johnny?" or they always tell you maybe video games or some sort of toy. Or my my nephews are into trucks and fancy building things. And think about that. And I'm reminded of a story that I heard once about a little boy named Brian. For weeks, he bugged his parents about getting a watch for Christmas. Every time he could, he said, I want a watch for Christmas. And finally, his dad, understandably so, was a little bit sick of hearing about this watch that he wanted for Christmas all the time. And he finally told him, he said, Brian, we understand. But if you mention that watch again, you're not going to get it for Christmas. One night, Brian's parents asked him to say the blessing for the meal before eating. And he says, Daddy, Mommy, I'd like to quote scripture as part of my prayer this morning. He says, I'd like to quote Mark 13, 37. I say unto you what I have already told you before. Watch. And that's the verse. <laughs> I thought that was a very creative way to get your point across about what you want for Christmas without actually getting in trouble. So it started thinking me thinking about Christmas and all of the gifts that we buy for each other and other people buy for each other. And so I did a bunch of research, as I like to do. And Package Hopper, which is was hired by UPS to do a survey, how would you rate yourself as a gift giver? 77% of females rate themselves as very good or excellent gift givers. Contrary-wise, 46% of males rate themselves as very good or excellent gift givers, which I always thought was interesting. I feel like I am a pretty good gift giver, but how do we react to gifts? <clears throat> how do we react to gifts? In the same survey, 76% of respondents admitted to faking enthusiasm about liking a gift that they had received in the past. 47% of respondents, based on this, have, have said they have given a gift that they would never give again based on a negative response that they had received from somebody. Trust me, we're going somewhere with all this. <clears throat> I read an article in Forbes this morning, actually. The National Retail Federation predicts retail takings this year will total somewhere between 943 and 960 billion dollars 
in between the months of November and December. That's a six or depending a six to an eight percent increase over last year. This, of course, includes spending like automobile dealerships, buying cars, gas stations, restaurants, things like that. So I dug a little further, and in that same article, the average consumer, that's us, plans to spend $833 on gifts and non-gift non holiday items such as decorations or food and so forth. And this is in line with the average over the last 10 years. And if you think about that, you total up, all right, how much decorations did I buy? How many gifts did I buy? All the wallpaper or all the wrapping paper and all that stuff. You're like, how much did we actually spend? And you think $833, that's a lot of money. And then it rolls up into $960 billion around holidays and gifts and so forth. And as you, I started to become a little bit overwhelmed thinking about all the thoughts and gifts from a consumer aspect, but then there are also spiritual aspects to gifts and giving. And if I've done my job right, you're now starting to think about potentially, maybe you're already thinking about a gift that you've received in the past or a gift that you've given in the past. <laughs> and whether it was a Christmas gift or a birthday gift, imagine when you got that gift that somebody gave you an invoice and says, here's how much I paid for that gift. You can go ahead and pay me back anytime you want. Imagine what that would be like. This ugly tie that I got just got uglier, right? <laughs> Especially if I had to pay for it. Oh, not this tie. I like this tie, actually. <clears throat> but imagine if you had to pay for that gift. That's absurd. We would never give someone a gift for their birthday or for Christmas and say, okay, by the way, I spent $42.50. Uh, I'll expect that check back next week. You wouldn't do something like that. But yeah, as Christians, sometimes when God gives us a gift, we feel like we somehow have to earn it or give it back or, or pay it back in some way or, or we don't even get it until we earn it. Thankfully, that's not the case, is it? Then I started thinking about all the things that Scripture says about gifts. And that's where I'd like to start this morning. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Incidentally, if you ever want to watch, that was Mark 13. Mark 13, 37. But here we're going to read 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which works it all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given every man to profit with all. For to one is given the spirit of the word of wisdom, another the word of knowledge, by the same spirit, to another faith, by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the same spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work with one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man, severally or individually, as he will, the Father in heaven. These, this is a common portion of Scripture that's referred to as the gifts of the Spirit. And it's the first thing that popped into my head was, oh, the gifts of the Spirit. We could talk about those. Paul goes on in this chapter to say that all gifts are important. And we should avoid the danger 
of comparing our gifts to somebody else's. Did you ever do that on Christmas morning? Oh man, I got this, but my brother got that. Hey, I'll trade you, right? Did you ever do that? Don't we do that as Christians too? Oh man, look at how nice that person dresses or when they preach, it's so good. I wish I could preach that good. Or I used to do that in Bible school all the time. Man, they're so good. I wish I could do it like that. That is so much better than me. And I do it even now. We do, we, you know, if, if we're not careful. The danger, he says in verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. You can't have everybody be all the same. Otherwise, we'd all be walking around as one big foot or one big toe or one big hand, as he says later on in this, throughout this chapter. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? He closes out the passage in verse 31 to say, covet earnestly the best gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. So being thankful for what we have, not avoiding comparing and contrasting with others, and it's okay to covet. This is one of the one rare times in Scripture where it says coveting is good. I want that thing. I want it. Covet earnestly the best gifts, and not just anything. He says, take, ask for the best stuff. Ask for it. So what do you want for Christmas this year? I can honestly say I can't remember, and I was thinking about it this morning. I can't remember asking God for a Christmas present. I remember wanting things really bad, but I somehow thought it was beneath God for me to ask him for, like, my Red Rider BB gun <laughs> or something like that. I never got one. My mom was always afraid I would shoot my eye out. Um, so I never got a BB gun. But I never prayed for it either. Maybe if I would have prayed, I would have gotten it. <laughs> it would have changed my mom's mind. I don't know. Overall, Paul lists nine gifts of the Spirit here. Now, we could do a whole study on, on the nine gifts of the Spirit. There's courses on it. We've got probably three different books that cover it here at Zion Fellowship. So for the remainder of this morning, I want to focus on three must-have gifts for this season and future seasons that we should all add to our Christmas list. And it's okay to ask God for them. In fact, he encourages us to. These gifts are classified as the guidance gifts, which I think is very important to have guidance throughout our lives, throughout our days, as we walk and as we talk and go into God's ways. They are wisdom, knowledge, and discernment, or discerning of spirits. Now, both wisdom and knowledge have a spirit, which are the seven spirits of the Lord, as well as the seven gifts of the spirit. For lack of... for for trying to avoid any confusion, I'm going to simplify it and just call it wisdom, knowledge, and discernment and talk about the different aspects of these. So first of all, wisdom. Proverbs 4, 5 through 7 says, Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. These are words from David to his son Solomon, kind of like his last instructions to him. And the first nine chapters of Proverbs are all that. And they major on wisdom. Get wisdom, the principal thing, the first thing. If you don't ask for anything else, ask for wisdom. Solomon took this so seriously that when the Lord came to him, 
in a dream and said, Solomon, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And he says, I know what to ask for. Lord, give me wisdom to lead your people. And God, 1 Kings 4, 29 through 31, we won't read it, but it's for your notes. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, beyond the breadth of mind, beyond the sands of the seashore, so that his wisdom surpassed all the people, even the wisest in Egypt. Ask, and he gives, but he doesn't just give you a little bit. He gives abundantly. We just had Thanksgiving dinner, and when I said, Lord, uh, honey, I would like a little stuffing on my plate. I didn't want like one little crouton. I wanted the big scoop, right? I want the whoop up, whoop up. I want a big plate of it. And when the Lord gives, he doesn't just give us a little crouton. He gives us abundantly, doesn't he? And he gave Solomon wisdom greater than all the land, more than the sands of the sea. Wisdom is the God-given ability to make the right choices and therefore to govern our lives skillfully. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to repeat it. It's the God-given ability to make the right choices and therefore to govern our lives skillfully. Dr. Bailey in his book, I think it was The Comforter, he said, wisdom must govern all of our actions, our words and our thoughts even. Is this wisdom? Even what I'm thinking, is this wisdom? How is that possible? Well, look at this first, Ephesians 3.10. I hadn't thought about wisdom in this way before until I found this verse. Ephesians 3.10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now that word manifold we know from other places. We know from First and Second Peter when we study that out. And all of you have been through that course at least once, I know. Manifold, many faceted, many colored, many hues. <clears throat> and we talk about it from Peter's perspective because he says manifold temptations. Manifold temptations, meaning there's many faceted te- temptations, many different aspects or colors or hues to a temptation. But then later on, he, in, in, later on in the book, chapter 4, He says there's also manifold grace. So the implication there being there's a matching color grace for the matching temptation that you're going through. But I never thought about it. Manifold wisdom. The matching wisdom. The matching specific thing that you need. The right thought. The right action. The right deed. The manifold, many faceted wisdom of God, which I thought was amazing to me. Wisdom. The principal thing. Get it. Above all things, ask for that. And God will give it. So first of all, how do you get it? You ask for it. It's simple. James 1.5. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Who gives stingily? No. Is he Ebenezer Scrooge with wisdom? No, he gives liberally, generously, without reproach. And it will be given. So we have to ask. Later on he says, James 4, he says, you don't have because you didn't ask. How do you know? Now, some people, I've heard people say this, and I've heard, had conversations, well, God knows what I need. Yeah, of course he does. But it's still good for us to ask, to show that we are looking to him as our provider, 
Say, Lord, I need, I need wisdom. I, I can't do this without you. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. The next way to get wisdom is we have to fear God. It says three times in Scripture that I found Psalm 110, or sorry, Psalm 111, verse 10, Proverbs 1, verse 7, and Proverbs 9, verse 10. So that's Psalm 111, verse 10, Proverbs 1, verse 7, and Proverbs 9, verse 10. It says the same thing in all three verses. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ask for it and then fear the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Is this the lightning bolt from heaven kind of fear? If I mess up, he's going to strike me down? No, that's not it. It's reverence. It's respect. It's awe of God. We do what is right, not out of fear, but out of love, because we want to please him. We want to do what is right, because we love him. That's the fear of the Lord. And that's the beginning of wisdom. You want wisdom? Ask for it. Fear the Lord, right? The God-given ability to make the right decisions and to govern our lives skillfully. That sounds pretty awesome. I'll take some of that. I'll take a lot of that. I'll take a heaping plate of it, right? Next, knowledge. The ability to know events, past, present, and future, to know the right thing to do. I'll take some of that too. I'll take a lot of that. Coupled with wisdom, Isaiah 33, verse 6 says, Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So we got the big, big three right here. Wisdom, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Stability in difficult times. Anybody know that we're heading to difficult times? Are we already in difficult times? I hear about this stuff that's coming and it all sounds really bad, but I'm telling you right now, it's not that great right now. (laughs) And I know it's going to get worse for sure. I could use a lot of stability, which means I need wisdom coupled with knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Knowledge to know what to do, wisdom, the ability to understand that you have to do it and to do it and move forward. Could be for a specific event, specifically in 1 Corinthians 12, It's a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge for a specific event. We got one of those a few years back when Hurricane Irma came through. We reached out because we were getting all kinds of people saying, thus saith the Lord, move and get away. But we said, we went to our leader, our spiritual father, and says, what do we do? And he got a word of knowledge. Stay put. It was specific for us in that specific situation. And we felt, oh, this wisdom to listen when your spiritual father hears from the Lord and says, I feel this way, then yeah, we probably should do what he says. And it's exactly what we should have done. But it's also in general, having a spirit of knowledge to know the right thing to do. It's not instinct. It's not just going with your gut. It's the Lord guiding you and directing you, the Holy Spirit giving you what is needed for that specific situation. Think about Joseph in Egypt. He needed a lot of knowledge. It wasn't just interpreting dreams and visions, which is, yeah, very important, but he only he had to lead a nation through seven years of abundance and have the ability, the knowledge, and, of course, the wisdom to put into place policies and procedures and things that would store this stuff up because he knew seven years of famine were coming right after it. 
And the, the way people think, the way people are, they're not thinking about the future that way. So they could have wasted that abundance and not had anything. So he needed the knowledge to know what to do. Let's build storehouses. Let's build things up. Let's put rationing in place right now while we can so that we have enough left when the times are lean. Not only that, but let's advertise to people that we've got stuff and let's start selling it so that we can, when you don't have any food, all the gold in the world is not going to do you any good. So we'll take their gold and we'll give them the food. And I mean, this is, it seems instinctual, but it's knowledge from the Lord on what to do to lead these people, right? Knowledge is one of the first things, according to 2 Peter 2, verse 5, it's one of the first things that we add to our faith. So it takes faith to have knowledge. And faith comes by what? Hearing the word of the Lord. The rhema, specific rhema word of the Lord to get that knowledge. And of course, ask for it. So wisdom, knowledge, now discernment. Discerning of spirits, which Paul references in 1 Corinthians 12, our kind of home base, the supernatural ability to know the source of a spiritual manifestation or a miracle of some sort. Now we know in terms of discerning of spirits, there's basically three sources. Not basically, there's only three sources. There's the Holy Spirit, the heavenly spirit. There's evil spirits from hell, the devil, the hell, the devil. And then there's the human spirit. The human spirit says when the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. and you were up till midnight, thus saith the Lord, stay in bed and go to sleep. That's not the devil. That's your human spirit saying, I'm tired. I want to go back to bed. Right? So those three, we have to be able to know the difference between those three. The discernment that goes along with that of understanding what rings true and what doesn't. And it's, and it's very difficult because these three things can work together through the same person. We saw this in Pete, with Peter. Who one one time, Matthew 16, tells Jesus, You are the Messiah, the Son of God, the true and living God. And then 10 minutes later, metaphorically, grabs onto Jesus and says, No, you can't go to the cross. And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. Whereas he just told him a few minutes ago, This came from the Holy Spirit. Same person. So it's not just. And that's why it's so dangerous when, I t when I've talked to people in the past. You can't tie your wagon to a specific person. You have to know what the Holy Spirit is saying. You have to be discerning to understand what is coming from the right place. And we're making sure that it's coming from the right place, right? So you can't just hitch your wagon to anybody because one time they told you something that was from the Lord. It's, Lord, this is, I want your Holy Spirit guiding me all the way through. And that's what discerning of spirits is. It's also, well, I, I have an example of this. When I was in a different country uh, several years ago, we were at a service and we had a time of praying for people. And people were being healed and filled with the Holy Spirit and all of that. And there was one particular minister who was from the country we were in. And he was like... I don't even know how to describe it. It was almost like a whirlwind. I mean, everything that was going on around him was like people getting healed left and right. And there was a whole thing. And it was it, every time somebody would come up to him, there was a meeting with the Lord and people are weeping and the whole deal. And I just remember looking over and I just did. I had like this weird, uneasy feeling in my stomach. I was like, this feels icky. This feels gross. 
And I didn't know what was going on because we were all ministering together. But I, I looked over, I'm like, oh, that feels wrong. But I didn't have time to, there was nothing I could do about it anyway. It wasn't my church. Well, like a year later, this same guy, after we were gone, led an uprising in the church and took all these people away because they were following all of the things that he was supernaturally doing. But he blasted the senior pastor and blasted the, the people from Zion who were there to help them. And it really caused a big problem. So it wasn't just the works that they were following the works, but I was like, that's not it. Something doesn't feel right here. And it was just a little bit of the Holy Spirit saying, eh, not, not right. Different, maybe it was a different motive. I really don't know. I didn't ask. But being able to discern and not just say, oh, these are all nice, really pretty miracles because the enemy can do supernatural things just, just like God can. And if we're following that, we could be easily led astray. So we need that. And we know from Revelation that there's highlighted points where the, en the enemy is going to do supernatural things and people are going to follow him because they're just drawn to the miracles. It's crucial in the last days that we develop our discernment. And it's a muscle that we can develop. Practice develops discernment. Is this scriptural? Is the first thing you should ask when you hear something? Just because someone says, thus saith the Lord, doesn't mean it's the Lord speaking. Is it scriptural what he's saying or what they're saying? Is it balanced? Think about Dave, or sorry, Jesus being confronted by the Satan in those three tests in the wilderness. He says, Satan says, it is written that if you throw yourself off of this thing, the angels are going to come and protect you. That's true. It's written in scripture that that was what would happen. Is that balanced? Should we jump off a building? It's because God says he'll protect us. No, that's not balanced at all. Because it also says don't tempt the Lord your God, right? So we need to know and be able to balance and understand that. And that's what discernment is. It's is it balanced? Is it scriptural? The epitome of where I would like to go myself, and I'd like to see everyone go in terms of discernment, it comes to um, the sons of Zadok. In Ezekiel chapter 44, these are men, verse 15, who kept the charge of God when Israel and other priests went astray. There was a rebellion under David, and even some priests left when his son rebelled against him, except for Zadok, who stayed faithful to David, who kept the charge of God, kept with God's anointing. And anointing. And God blessed Zadok and all of his descendants because of that. They get to go into the Holy of Holies when other priests in the Millennial Temple are not allowed in to the Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. The sons of Zadok get to go in, and it says in verse 16 that they minister to the Lord directly. The, the other priests, they're great. They're in the temple. They're doing their work. But they're ministering to the people. They're doing, they're doing other aspects, administrative things, whereas the sons of Zadok's sole responsibility in terms of temple service is to be in the Lord's presence and minister to him. That sounds pretty awesome to me. One of the other things they do, verse 23 and 24, they teach my people the difference between the holy and profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they stand in judgment 
and they judge accordingly to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes and all mine assemblies, and they shall follow holy. They shall hallow my Sabbaths. We can ask for discernment. We can practice discernment, but what a great privilege it is to teach discernment to others. But in order to do that, you have to have it here first. To sit in judgment during controversy. The world needs people like this. The world is crying out for people like this. To understand the right thing to do. Discern holy from profane and clean from unclean. We need people like this. Man, Lord, give us discernment. But then be able to teach it to others. Teach people discernment. That's really what struck out to me. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, talking about deception. It all starts with deception. Deceives that many would be deceived and so forth. And it increases and increases. And I would say to you that our growth in discernment must outpace the growth of deception. Otherwise, we're going to be constantly behind. Our growth and practice, you don't just have discernment once and say, okay, I'm good. You have to practice it like a muscle. Develop it. Our growth and discernment has to outpace the growth of deception. Otherwise, we're going to lose. <laughs> we are going to lose out. We're not going to lose. The good guys are going to win. We know that. But we're going to lose out. We could ourselves be deceived. It says that. Read Matthew 24. Lest the very elect were deceived. He shortens the time. So wisdom, knowledge, discernment. I think they should all be on our Christmas list, don't you? All great things that God wants to give. And it, he's, we read in James 1.5, he gives liberally. Now, I've always felt weird receiving gifts. I'm going to be honest. When I was, even when I was a kid, it just felt awkward to receive a gift. I don't know why. But unlike the first survey I read where it said 46%, the minority of men, thought that they were good gift givers, I'm in the majority on this one. 68% of Americans are more excited to give gifts than to receive gifts. So apparently I'm in the minority for once. What do we do with our gifts? What do we do with our gifts? 33% of U.S. adults expected in a 2021 survey, 33% of U.S. adults expected to return at least one holiday gift. That same survey by the National Retail Federation found that all retailers expect to see a 17.8% return of merchandise sold both online and in person. That's $158 billion worth of goods and a 56% increase from 2020. They returned the gifts that they were given. Somebody spent time to give them a gift and they just returned it for many different reasons. Now, do we return it unused? God gives you a gift and you say, no, thanks. I don't want it. Do we do that? Have we done that? God forbid. Now, imagine having a gift, giving it to your child when they were younger. You guys all have grown children, but maybe when you were younger, imagine giving a child a gift to little Johnny. It's all built. You, spent, you stayed up all night building it. You have all the batteries in it. <clears throat> Everything's working great. They open it. Oh, that's nice. They put it in the closet, and you never see it again. They don't do anything with it. They don't play with it. You spend all that time and money and effort to build it and get it ready for them, and they go, oh, that's nice. Thanks. 
They don't do anything with it. God wants us to do something with the gifts that he gives us. We don't just take it and say, thanks, and set it aside. How do we ever, have we ever done that? Have we ever done that? That's the big problem with Solomon, wasn't it? He had the gift. He had wisdom beyond measure, knowledge beyond measure. Didn't do anything with it. Yeah, he built the tabernacle of the temple, but he didn't live according to the wisdom. In fact, at the end of his life, Ecclesiastes 4, he says, I'm an old and foolish king who refuses to be admonished. This is someone, the wisest man possibly to ever live, other than Jesus Christ, says, I'm an old and foolish king who will not be admonished. God has given us a gift. He intends us to use it for his honor, for his glory. To be thankful for what we have. This goes back to 1 Corinthians. We won't read it. But there's that whole section where it says, if the hand says, I'm not good enough because I'm not an ear, and the ear says, well, I'm not good enough because I'm not the foot. Everybody's unthankful for what they have. Just say, this body cannot succeed, cannot be successful unless we're all flowing together. Not only that, jealousy comes in. Oh, man. I wish I were like him. I hate that he is so good at that and I'm so bad at it. Rather than rejoicing and saying, wow, they're awesome. Yeah, they're better than me, but who cares? They're giving glory to God with that gift, whatever it is. Praise the Lord for that. So our call to action when I was moving to ZMI as a student back in 2005, I cleaned out my apartment. I was living alone at the time, and I noticed a huge box of all these old things that just somehow translated from the time when I moved out of my house and from the first apartment I had and so forth. They were old gifts, old Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, whatever. They had been collecting dust for years, and I just lost interest in them, or they just had no value to me anymore or whatever it was. If that's the case, if anybody with a gift that God has given you, I'll close, or I'll get two verses. First, 2 Timothy 1.6. Wherefore, I put in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Paul says, I was there when I, I, this gift was imparted to you. Stir it up. Don't let it collect dust. Don't let it get put in a corner in a box that you forgot about for 15 years. Stir it up. Practice it. Whatever it is. So what are we doing with the gifts that God has given us? I've only talked about three this morning, but there are many others. And they're all extremely important. Wisdom, knowledge, discernment, extremely important. Like I said, should be on our Christmas list. All are necessary now and will be more necessary in the future. But these aren't the only gifts that God gives are they? There's all sorts of other kinds of gifts. Administration, helping, or helps. Prayer is another one. Intercession, gifts, all kinds of things that God can give us. I just want to remind you that every, James 4, 117, last verse, every perfect gift, good and perfect gift, comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So if you've returned your gift and said, no thanks, ask for it back. All right? Say, can I have that back, please, Lord? Can I please have that back? Or at least some portion of it? 
Yes, hell yes. <laughs> Ask for it back. If you've let it collect dust and it's in a, off in a box somewhere in your corner of your room, get it out, stir it up, shake it off. Start using it again. Or maybe you're unthankful because it's not as nice and classy and fancy as somebody else's gift. Be thankful for what you have and use it for God's glory and then be thankful for what they have because God's kingdom is ultimately being glorified no matter what. Thank God and look for ways that we can use what we have to bless others and to glorify his name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for all that you have given us, for all that you're going to give us. Lord, and we thank you for this word. We thank you for this time of year where we glorify you, first of all, as the greatest gift of all to us, Lord Jesus, that you came to this earth to die and for our sins, to give us an example of how we live. Lord, and we ask specifically for these three this morning, wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom that we can understand, that we can know the right thing to do and govern our lives skillfully. Knowledge, Lord, to know what needs to be done, Lord, and how to do it, Lord, and the grace to do it as well while we're at it. And Lord, discernment. We need discernment to know the difference between right and wrong, holy and profane. Lord, and I ask specifically that we'd be able to teach that to others. Lead others into discernment, Lord. Lord, and help us, Lord. Stir us up afresh, Lord, to not be content with just having it and having it sit on a shelf. But Lord, we want to be active participants in all of these things. And whatever gift you've given to somebody, Lord, challenge that person this morning. Challenge us with ways that we can get off the shelf, Lord, and to stir up the gift that's within us. Be thankful for what we have, Lord, and we just ask that you would continue to bless your people. We thank you. We bless you. We thank you for this word and just ask that you would seal it in our hearts. Lord, don't let us go home and forget what we've been taught, Lord, but be active participants in what you've given us, Lord. We thank you. We bless you and just ask your blessing upon the remainder of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Mike, would you come lead us?